now, time for Seafood News. You're listening to the Seafood News Podcast. I'm Seafood News staff writer Amanda Buckle. And I'm Seafood Market Reporter Lauren Castiglione. This week's episode is brought to you by Ernerberry Seafood Import Workshop, taking place in Boston on Thursday, October 18th. The Seafood Import Workshop is a unique opportunity for businesses to discuss the variety of compliance requirements faced by U.S. seafood importers. From federal laws to voluntary certification requirements, the workshop speakers present and discuss best management approaches to raising the bar and meeting the intent of the law. Visit earnerberry.com SIW for more information. Yes, this seafood import workshop. Now, before we dive into any of our news, we were lucky enough to get workshop speaker Scott Zimmerman to join us to tease a little bit about what people can expect from the upcoming event. Scott's the CEO and founder of Safe Quality Seafood Associates. Let's take a listen. Scott, we've got a pretty big schedule set for the Seafood Import Workshop, but tell us a little bit about what attendees can expect from your sessions. So my sessions are going to be concentrating on quality assurance and quality control with really a focus on continuous improvement, basically what to do when you're dealing with FDA, uh, you know, replying to warning letters, uh, petitioning for your company to be removed from import alert or DWPE. So the overall focus is going to be how you document continuous improvement, the types of records that the officer is going to be looking for, expecting during an audit, and basically how processors just justify that they've identified and implemented the correct control strategy and they're trying to meet the intent of the law. Wow. Okay, so that's a lot of important information. Uh, who do you think would you know benefit from attending this workshop? Well, the types of companies that are going to benefit would be processors, distributors, importers, wholesalers, retailers. Okay, that's um, a big custom, <laughs> Yeah, even customs brokers, warehouse owners. Um, they're going to learn how the, the regulation applies to them as well. Okay, wow. So there's something something for everybody here. Now, um, there's also government representatives attending. What can you tell me about that? This is the, the, the best part about our workshop, because there's no other opportunity that's bringing together partner government, government agencies uh, to discuss these topics and help businesses basically calibrate their understanding to meet it, to what's required to meet these regulations. Over the last 10 years, uh, traceability has been a buzzword in seafood, and it's essentially what's going to be required through the Seafood Import Monitoring Program, which is why we have Celeste LaRue from NOAA showing up at this, at this specific workshop to discuss the requirements for uh, chain of custody documentation, especially as it applies to shrimp. So luckily, we're going to have reps from CBP, USDC, FDA, and USDA that are going to help our attendees understand what's going to be expected uh, to be compliant for the new laws coming down the pike. Wow. All right. That sounds like a no-brainer for me to attend, Scott. Thank you so much for joining the CFA News Podcast, and we'll see you October 18th. You got it, Amanda. See you then. Thanks. Big thanks to Scott for taking the time out to speak to us. You can catch him at the workshop, as well as Thai Union's Group Counsel for Responsible Sourcing, Corey Norton, Senior Vice President of Food and Beverage Practice Leader at FOA and Sun Insurance Brokers, Michael Lieberman, and Customs Broker and Director of Operations for New York Customs Brokers, Jonathan Lieberman. No relationship to Michael. 
Um, <laughs> plus, we have uh, invited government representatives attending from the USDA, FDA, NOAA, and more, and they'll all be on hand to answer any questions that you may have. Yes, it's a really great event, and it's not just for importers, really for anyone who wants to learn more about the industry. From SIMP to the USDA's inspections of Pangasius, our speakers will even be discussing the hottest topic about tariffs. It's an event you can't miss, so visit ernaberry.com SIW to sign up or call one of our awesome sales reps at 1-800-932-0617. That is a fact, Lauren. <laughs> so what's on our agenda for today? Today we are talking about vegans and oysters, meal kits, Noah's memorandum on whales, and Casey's seafood owner pleading guilty to falsely labeling crab meat. Plus, I've got a story about the tilapia market and the activity happening the first week of tariffs. Ooh la la. Well, why don't you uh, hit us with that first? Okay. Uh, So we wrapped up the first full week of tariffs, uh, the 10% punitive tariffs going into effect on seafood imports from China, and the tilapia market, which is the largest species by volume imported from this country, was uh, quite split on whether or not to implement immediate price increases to their customers or to keep them stagnant. So they were divided among three major options. The first group took the week to assess all their existing supply agreements and purchase orders and pretty much kept their prices unchanged. Um, And this was because their inventory levels were enough to support this action, but they kept clear communication lines open with their customers that prices would be increasing as early as next week. The second group started the week off by passing along a slight price increase to their customers. Some were rewarding regular customers with a lower percentage increase than non-regular customers. And finally, the third group increased prices across the board from 10 to 15% right off the bat. So right now the market isn't as concerned with the 10% tariff, but it is more focused on the increased 25% tariff that will be going into effect January 1st, 2019. At the moment, China is still taking orders that can leave in time to avoid this higher tariff, but that is coming close to capacity. This is causing any end user with storage space to buy up inventory at the lower tariff rate. And in the next six to eight weeks, as that transit window crosses over into the new year, into the, new year the market could see a major shift. So will prices climb back up to the 2014 record highs? Will demand plunge in response to the increased prices? We will have to wait and see. That's awesome. That's, I mean, it's pretty interesting with all this tariff stuff. It's, it's crazy to see what the markets are doing. Yeah, it's definitely keeping my job interesting and giving all of my contacts major headaches. Um, But the wholesale prices increased uh, five cents across the board on all sizes on both moisture added and no moisture added products as the majority of the industry implemented slight price increases the first week. Uh, So right now on moisture added products, uh, depending on size, prices range from $1.90 to $2.25. And on chem-free products, they range from two dollars to two thirty-five. Okay, you know, like I come from the entertainment industry background, so my big joke with everybody is that the seafood industry has just as much drama. Oh yeah, as like an for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and we love it here. Exactly. But it makes—I mean, like it sucks for everybody else. But it I makes, know. It it's, makes it's our interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, But thanks, Lauren. In other news, a recent technical memorandum from NOAA on right whale recovery in 2018 could push the agency to require new limits on trap fishing technology. So, in short, the memorandum says that the measures adopted to reduce the number of rope lines in the water have backfired. 
Um, although the number of lines to individual buoys have been reduced, the remaining trawl strings have more traps and stronger rope. The result is that whales are suffering more for entanglements than they were oh, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, they weren't than they were before the new rules were introduced. It's crazy. So the memorandum says that stronger rope contributed to an increase in the severity of entanglements. Yikes. So uh, research that was published in 2012 showed that nearly 85% of right whales have been entangled in fishing gear at least once. And that's like, that's, that's nuts. Yeah. Um, 59% have been entangled at least twice. And like I said, this data was published a few years ago, but an increase in the percentage of whales encountering and entangling in gear grew from 61.5 percent in 1995 to 75.6 percent in 2002. So I mean, it's it's only getting worse. And it's important to remember now that there are approximately you know only only 450 North Atlantic right whales left in the world. And I mean, there was that devastating number of mortalities in 2017, and you know there was a total of 17 North Atlantic right whales that that were found dead last year, and a couple have already died this year. So you know, it's important to, to keep monitoring this, and especially since there are only around 100 females of breeding age left in the population, and, you know, no new calves were spotted in the calving grounds off, uh, off Florida this year. So, Amanda, I thought we, Pinky, promised that we were going to take a break from talking about <laughs> right whale deaths. We tried. We had one week off, right? Yes. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, it is so sad, and but it's... It's a huge, it's a huge deal with the lobster industry too right now. So it is. Got to keep covering it and quietly wiping away our tears. Yes, <laughs> and quickly moving along. Yes. Uh, so James R. Casey, the owner and president of Casey Seafood in Newport News, Virginia, has pleaded guilty on charges that he led a lucrative conspiracy to falsely label millions of dollars worth of foreign crab meat. Love a good conspiracy. Mm-hmm. So according to reports, Casey conspired to replace Atlantic blue crab with crab meat from Indonesia, China, Thailand. Vietnam, and Central and South America. And the wholesale processor of crab meat and other seafood, he admitted as part of his guilty plea that he's he began this fraudulent act as early as 2010 and continued through June 2015. That's a, That's a long, long time. time. Yeah. Yeah. So the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia said that Casey falsely labeled nearly 400,000 pounds of crab meat with a retail value in the millions of dollars. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, and in 2010, a decline in Atlantic blue crab harvest resulted in an increase in price of live Atlantic blue crab. The price hike made it difficult to profit from the labor-intensive process of picking meat from the crabs. So due to the decline in harvest, Casey could not meet customer demands. Instead, he purchased crab meat from foreign countries to fulfill orders. Casey directed his employees to mix the foreign crab meat with the domestic blue crab and then repack it in Casey's seafood containers that were labeled product of USA. Yeah, definitely not a product of the USA. Nope. Uh, but, yeah, it's a wild story, and Casey now faces five years in prison and a fine of up to half the gross gain of the offense, and he'll be sentenced on January 9th of 2019. And Harris Teeter Supermarkets has announced that they will reimburse shoppers who purchased Casey's seafood crab meat from their stores between January 2010 and June 2015. The supermarket chain is identifying affected consumers through their loyalty cards. A full refund will be available on their accounts and apply towards future purchases. And moving along, some vegans are eating oysters. What? Right. Now I say some. (laughs) Okay. A lot of vegans, and I would say most vegans, are super, super strict. Like, they won't even eat honey. Mm -hmm. Uh, however, some are arguing that oysters are more plant-like than part of the animal kingdom. Okay. I mean, like, they lack a central nervous system. They don't have a face. Like, I, I can I can kind of see it, you know. But they have a heart and they have kidneys. 
Well, that changes everything. That does. <laughs> um, but I mean, I guess like, you know, I, as a previous vegetarian, uh, clams was how I first started eating more seafood um, because I didn't feel as guilty about like, it, it didn't have a face. And that's really, that's honestly what it comes down to. And it's a, it was more a, a pick and choose your own kind of what you feel comfortable with. Yeah. So, but like I said, I mean, for a vegan to eat, like you're not a vegan then, then you're a vegetarian and you're just a picky vegetarian. Pescatarian. Yes. Yes. You know, it, it's like, it just like, it doesn't make like, part of the whole thing with being, being a vegan is that, is that you're a pain. Like, right. Is yeah. That, is that you're going out of your way to make sure that like, that nothing, everybody knows. Yeah. And then like nothing you do, nothing you touch, like they don't right. even have leather, like, I, yeah. you know, you're not a vegan if you're eating oysters. You're just, I mean, oysters, are, I had the oysters last night. Mm. Delicious. Um, yeah, I just, I love them. But, uh, <laughs> like, I don't blame them for wanting to eat them, but you can't say you're vegan then. That's my, that's my take. Hot All take. right. If you're listening and you're a vegan and you eat oysters, Why contact us. Why are you in us. the industry? <laughs> <laughs> no, don't scare them away. I want to hear their side of the story. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Contact us. <laughs> Contact me. Don't contact Amanda. <laughs> I promise to keep my mouth shut. Oh, yeah, yeah. And for our final story of the day, consumers are souring on meal kit subscriptions. So global revenue for the meal kit business is projected to hit $10 billion in 2020, which, I mean, I mean, like, that sounds pretty good, right? And, yeah. And uh, that's up from $1 billion in 2015. That's quick. That's quick yeah. growth. Yeah, it is. But unfortunately, it doesn't p- appear as if <laughs> the home meal kit option is as appealing to consumers anymore. According to a recent survey by Market Force Information, 49% of consumers were less than satisfied with their meal kit experience. Meanwhile, 83% of those who tried a meal delivery service have stopped using it. Now, the reason, you may ask... Uh, according to the study, the reason people quit over over the um, well, people just quit this thing in general was poor value, portion size, and cost. Now, truthfully, I can't really comment on this because I've never. I mean, I'm going to comment on it because that's <laughs> why am I here? Yeah. But like, I've never tried a meal kit, so I just want to fully put that out there. But have you tried one? I have. I've tried a couple of them. Oh, okay. And the first thing that I think it's not sustainable is they're expensive. Yes. Once you get past that, like, you know, introductory, like... Yeah, $30 off your first yeah. three boxes, yeah. Then it's it's really expensive. They're portioned so specifically that there's not any leftovers. Right. And I'm kind of like, you know, I make dinner and any leftover I bring for lunch the next day. Yeah, easy way out. But also is that it didn't save any time. I was thinking I was going to get this box of, like you know, ingredients that I just throw in the pan, but you still have to wash and dice and cut and, yeah. you know, it it really didn't help that much. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, you still have to go to the food store for just your everyday items, so it's not even like you're saving right. time there. Yeah. Well, that's that's what, like, one of the reasons why I never tried one is, like, the, the cost, too, is that there's, like, a bunch of different, different options out there, and, you know, obviously they all cost different prices, but generally they cost about nine dollars to twelve dollars serving. And yep. I mean, you've got a family of three. I mean, I don't know if, if your daughter's eating. The she is. She is. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I mean, that's like I'm, I'm only like cooking for me and my husband. That, but that's a lot. I mean, that's like I can just go out to eat, right? Which is like exactly what you're saying. You're saving time. It's like that's saving time. I'm not cooking myself or cleaning up. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it's a, it's a lot when you think about it. And I was trying to do the math before, and I think a serving of dinner in my house costs about three dollars and fifty cents. 
So to get this oh, meal kit. Good for you for figuring that out. I, nice. was, I was trying, well, well, here we go. I, I laid it out. Uh, <laughs> vegetables really aren't that expensive, especially when you like, you know, check out sale prices. So like to buy a head of broccoli is like 99 cents, mm-hmm. you know? So let's say I'm, I'm, you know, I eat a lot of broccoli. I love the brock. Um, <laughs> but like I cheat when it comes to my husband's meals. So he, he doesn't eat like all the tofu I eat and tofu costs $1.99. It's nothing. Um, and one thing of tofu, you know, usually I get two or more servings out of it. Same thing. I take it for lunch. But because I'm so afraid to cook chicken, I buy those like easy pre-seasoned freezer to oven chicken cutlets. They're like a bit more expensive than just buying chicken and cutting up and seasoning it yourself. But like, I can just throw it right in the oven and it's totally worth the cost. So with everything, I like I figured out it's like three fifty, you know, nice. and that's nine dollars. That doesn't make any sense to me to, yeah. to do that. Um, so that's my point: is that meal kits are expensive. And I heard like, did you feel the pressure of it? Like I, a lot of people are saying like they don't like the pressure of having to like cook something within the three days that they say you have to cook it in not so much because the plans that I signed up for it was like three meals a week so it wasn't I wasn't doing like seven meals where I had to do one every night so if I did skip a day in between it was fine Mm -hmm. so that didn't apply yeah at least for me I guess the only like good thing I can think about it like I said never tried it (laughs) the only thing that would like entice me is that like, I can't tell you how many nights I'm like, what do you want for dinner? And my husband's like, I don't know, what do you want? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I answered the other night. And he's like, I always tell you what I want. I don't want anything. You know, like, so yeah. then you could get into debate of like, what the hell are you supposed to eat? You know? <laughs> and, you know, I could eat pasta every night, but. I know. I could eat a bowl of cereal. I don't care. Count chocolates out right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the point is. Nobody is. <laughs> what is the point anymore? The point, the point is, is, why are husbands so difficult? <laughs> and we're going to end it on that note. So, no, reach out to us and let us know if you've tried the meal kit thing. I know, like, there's there's some that have seafood in it. And maybe for $9 to $12, that actually might be a good price. Like, we eat a lot of scallops in the house, and scallops like 20 bucks, So that's right. probably, you know, 10 10 each a serving plus the side. So maybe in that way. But I don't think most of these have scallops anyway. But anyway... We want to know. We want to hear from you. My email is abuckle at seafood.com. And then, Lauren, you want to give yours away or no? <laughs> sure. I'm L. Castiglione, C-A-S-T-I-G-L-I-O-N-E, at earnerberry.com. So if you're a vegan and you eat oysters, email me. Yes. And if you just want to chit-chat, tell us what you think about the podcast. <laughs> give us suggestions for next podcast. We only take positive criticism yeah don't email us anything negative our tiny (laughs) our little hearts can't take it all right but that wraps up wraps up our show for the week once again this week's episode is brought to you by ernerberry's seafood import workshop visit ernerberry.com slash siw thanks for tuning in and we'll see you back here next week Bye. bye bye